Lord Jesus, we're going to need a little help this morning on a number of fronts. Uh, first of all, as we want to hear from you, not from me. Lord, you, uh, you give your bread to your people. Uh, you do it in the context of community and church and certainly personal study, but also corporately. So you like, you like to speak to a missional community, Lord. We are a missional community. Lord, we're, we are about you, about your business, about your glory, about the advancement of your kingdom. And to operate in that is going to require an extraordinary amount of grace uh, because we have a, <laughs> a fallen human conduit that's going to try to unpack the, well, the, the divine nature of your word to all humanity. Lord, the very purpose for which we're on the earth. So we need that help. And Lord, secondly, I would just ask that you would help me get through this without coughing on my precious friends. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, uh, a few weeks back we... Well, actually, let me start this way. We, we started with a flow of parables, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I had never really seen the, the consistency and the connection between these parables that I have as I've really gotten into this in Luke. And I've taught through Luke before, but I, I, I just saw something a little bit different this time. If you'll remember back a number of weeks, we started talking about the lost things. Remember that? The lost things? Jesus said he came to seek and save those, that, those things that are lost. And then he gave a couple of parables. He gave a parable of the sheep, you know, the, the shepherd leaves all the other sheep, and he goes out and looks for the one sheep. So that, that was important. I said, man, that makes me feel like he really knows me individually, That he, because I was one of one, the one lost sheep. And then we talked about the lost coin and the lady who had dropped maybe this coin that was maybe a bridal necklace of some sort and fallen on the ground in their house. At that time, those would have been dirt floors, and so the coin was down in there getting dirty and lost, and they came, started sweeping the dirt away, looking for the coin they found, and they all celebrated, and they threw parties, and so what did you get from that? You get, well, God's really into each one of us. It's not just some, certainly from a Jewish context, it was usually the God of Israel, and he saved Israel as a nation, and now this is coming down to the, the specifics of you. Jesus went as far as to say he knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows all the detail about you, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of us just go, ah, I'm not so sure. And there's now 8 billion people on the earth, and he's going to know the number of hairs on my head, and he's going to know, ah, it just seems so outlandish. Our existence is outlandish. The fact that something came out of nothing, and there's science has no explanation for how the material realm came into existence out of nothing. Just the fact that we're here communicating, having this experience, having... This is all outlandish. Why is it any more outlandish than the creator of the universe would know the, down to the very detail, the very atomic structure, the very material world that we live in? That's not outlandish to me. Just the fact that we're here is outlandish. <clears throat> Jesus made those comments. So we got through that, and then we got to the prodigal, the third, and it was another lost thing, but it really wasn't about the prodigal. It was really about the elder brother, and we talked a little bit about that. And then there's a shift, and we read this two weeks, three weeks ago when I was here, and we looked at this very strange parable about the shrewd manager or the unrighteous steward or whatever you want to call it. He was, yes, it's, he's not, we're not to commend him for his morality, but remember, if you'll remember, parables, parabolic teaching is not about trying to just elicit some morality tale. Parabolic teaching is trying to convey content, uh, the very heartbeat of God, an, an insight into the way the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, if you will, operates. And so we got into this, and yet, strange, is Jesus commending this steward's behavior? Well, yes and no. So let's read it again, and then I want to get to the second two parts of this. And I want to tell you why I think Jesus gave this parable on the heels of lost things and elder brothers. And I'll tell you up front that he wants us to understand that there is an infinite nature to who you are. David Mathis once says, finitude cannot ever slake the thirst for the infinite. Do you remember Jamie Winship who was here that one time and told it, one of the most incredible storytellers I've ever heard? He, I actually spoke to him this last week, and he's living in Tennessee, and remember in the Middle East, and he was abducted by some terrorist organization and things. He did a lot of ministry over there. He says this about uh, all of us. There are two things that every human being is after, whether they're aware of it or not, whether they consider themselves an atheist or not. Two things. Number one, we want perpetual joy. I mean, who doesn't want that? 
I would like to think, I would like for things to go my way all the time in exactly the way I would. I love to be joyful and I would like to be perpetually joyful. Who doesn't want that? No, I'm kind of into depression. I'm kind of into just sitting in my room and being depressed. I mean, who doesn't want that? But there's a second part to that that Jamie talks about. He, he says simply this, we also want immortality. Why? Because if I'm in a per- state of perpetual joy, I don't want it to end. I don't care who you are. If you, don't believe that, if you believe that we're just some, again, cosmic accident out here and just floating around in space, and then consciousness is nothing, and we're not a soul and a spirit and everything else... You, you can pursue joy, but deep down, you're going to know at some point this all ends. A meteor hits the earth or a big, you know, super volcano or, or you know, we start pressing buttons, you know, and that's kind of come back in after the Cold War thing. It almost feels that way a little bit over the last year. At some point, there's, or I just breathe my last and it's over, and that quells, that suppresses. We have a need. Why? Animals don't feel that. Animals aren't sitting around going, huh, I wish I lived forever. Well, unfortunately, I don't. My, at least my animals don't. I know they don't. Um, well, three of them are cats that have been brought into the house, and they think they have nine lives anyway. So, so they don't think that, but we're created in God's image. We, we were created with a hunger for something that can never be satisfied outside the understanding of the immortal and the eternal. Cannot. Okay, Luke chapter 16. With that as a backdrop, I'm going to reread the parable, and then we're going to get into the second part of this. Now, he was also saying to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. He fell down on the job. He was a mess. Could have been on American greed. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management. You can't be a manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, this is just internally, he's thinking, this is what's going on in his head, what am I going to do? My master's taking the management away from me, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. And What am I going to do? I don't know how old he was, but maybe he was about my age. He's like, I can't start over again. I can't find a new career. I'm too tired to dig. I can't. There's just no way I can do this. And then he says, I know what I'll do. He came up with this very creative plan. He says that, so when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. In other words, I'm going to make some friends for myself here. I've still got a little bit of power left. It's not been completely, I've not been taken completely from me. I've got a position of authority. He hasn't taken it away from me yet. So, or at least I'm identified as this. So I'm going to go and I'm going to think ahead. So after he dumps me, I'm going to have a few friends. I'm going to go out and make a few friends. So he said, he summoned each one of his master's debtors, began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? He says, a hundred measures of oil. He said, well, take your bill, sit down and write 50. I guess assuming that your debt is clear now, he's going to give you a 50% off discount. Well, the, ma- the master, the manager, or the master never said that at all. Never gave him the authority to do that. Is this a righteous behavior? It's not a morality tale. Jesus is going to make that clear. Then he said, how much do you owe? And another one said, well, 100 measures of wheat. He says, take your bill, write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. In other words, people who don't have the Holy Spirit living on them, inside them, and have an understanding of the unseen realm and the eternal kingdom of God, they are more shrewd than our people. What is it with our people? Jesus is saying, what's going on here? This guy's thinking ahead. Why don't we think ahead? I say to you, make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness. That's just money so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. And again, as I told you a few weeks back, all Jesus is doing is he's, tra- he's taking an in-space-and-time event, and he's saying, look, he's thinking ahead. He's about to lose his ability to be the manager. He's thinking ahead. He's going to make some friends. 
so that maybe they'll be invite him into their homes, maybe give him a job, maybe help him out because he was so nice to them. Jesus is saying, take that, and rather than the end of it, take it all the way to the day that you breathe your last. Are you thinking, is your life constructed around thinking about the moment you breathe your last in terms of making friends for yourself, being shrewd? That's the question Jesus is asking. It will change your life. I'm going to finish this now. He says, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful in much. In other words, there is a progression. If you're failing at a certain place where the Lord's calling you to do something and you fail at that place, you'll never get to point, you know, you're, you're still from A to B, you'll never get from X to Y. Never going to get there. It's got to be little steps of faithfulness. Why? Because it increases your faith. It makes you, it's not just that you're passing a test, it's that the Lord needs you to have the experience of living by a radical, upending kind of a faith. That's what he's requesting here. He says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of, well, your money, who will entrust true riches to you. If you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who's going to give you what's, what's your own? No servant. And catch this. No servant. Now, here's the key. No servant can serve two masters, but we think we can. I'll just tell you, I, I, it's the human experience. We think we can. Jesus is saying you can't. Not in the place I want to take you. Oh, you can. You can go to church. You can be a nice Christian. You can do some Christian things and things like that. And you can still be pretty riveted on your own stuff. But ultimately, not, not where I want to take you. Not on the kind of risky, life-transforming, other people impacting, finding lost things community kind of a lifestyle that I want you to live into this is going to be the most invigorating lifestyle you'll... Well, it's the, it is the way to peace and truth and abundant life. But there's some barriers to this, and here's the primary barrier you think you can serve too. You think you can serve both. And he says, you just can't. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be devoted to one, and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I'm going to preach to myself. Jeff, you cannot serve God and money. And it, Jeff, you cannot serve... I mean... But I think I can. And oftentimes we think we can. Jesus says you can't do that. It just doesn't work. Now, what was the response to that? Verse 14 simply says, Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, and they were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. <clears throat> There's no doubt that maybe you're watching on television this morning, or maybe you're, you're watching live stream, whatever. You're here. Deep down in our spirit, there's something that rises up, and we scoff at this. Now, it may not be scoffing at Jesus. Jesus, you're such a... We wouldn't say those words, but deep down, we're like, ah, I, think, I still think I can do that. I think I'm pretty good at that. Now... Here's the key. If you, if you just see, again, if you see this morning's message now where we're about to go in terms of position, possessions, and your power, if you see this as just obligatory things, another sermon on you should give and this and that, I've been to church, going to church for 50 years, I've probably heard, you know, a thousand different sermons on this, you know, you know another sermon. And by the way, if I, I'm, next week I'm going to do a, a message on giving. This place would be empty, Right? <laughs> I mean, you just, you heard enough of them. We know that we're supposed to give. The question is, why? I thought God owned a th cattle on a thousand hills. A thousand for a Jew Jew Jewish perspective is kind of an innumerable amount of, I mean, he owns everything. He, why does he need my little piddly stuff? Why? I scoff at it. Either in attitude or in action or somehow, I just, I don't want to be. Remember who the Pharisees were. They were the older brothers. He had just given the parable about the older brothers. 
So Jesus, why is Jesus commending this steward? We talked about it a few weeks ago, and I'll, re, I'll repeat this. He's commending this steward for one very simple reason. He was shrewd, and he, wanted us to, he wants us to learn, not from his morality, but in how smart he was and thinking beyond his management time. Do you see your life as a time of management or as a time just to fulfill your every hope and desire? Do you see your life as a life of management until you breathe your last? I, I had a national staff call this last week, and I, was, I use it as I do this pulpit often as a confessional time before the staff. And I said, I, and I can't go through the teachings of Jesus and not just feel sometimes like I'm just being beat up. And I said, I still have this vision in my mind, uh, where I want to live, what I want to do, what I want to do each day, what that's going to look like. And I, have a, I kind of have all this planned out. <clears throat> and then Jesus takes me in places that I just, it's not, my vision's not always working out. And I'm learning to be grateful for that. I'm learning to be grateful for that because what Jesus is helping me understand is, Jeff, your management is to the very end. The management of your life in the kingdom is till you breathe your last. You don't like, yeah, especially for those of us who are in ministry and, and actually take a salary for ministry. I wasn't that for a long time. I never imagined I'd be deriving my living from a salary in a ministerial role. It's just, just so bizarre to me. But it's even harder for us because then we retire and then we can go back and what? No, my management will continue to go until I breathe my last. That's what Jesus is commending here. He's saying, this, is, this guy, he's smart. He's not saying he's moral, he's smart. Now, you be like him. You be like him. Think about your last breath. So we looked at position. <clears throat> Either where you are in space and time, I don't, again, I don't live in the 15th century, I don't live in the 24th century, I live in the 21st century. I was born in the 20th century, to live now in the 21st century, made it through the Orwellian 1985 and all that kind of thing, you know, and somehow, and, and you know, you keep kind of progressing forward, and, and, but, and I also live here in the Coachella Valley. I believe that God brought me here. I believe he, he brought me here. I, it was just a a lark that I got here, playing with a guy, and he says, oh, you ever been to California? No, I was going to Florida to play some tour event. He says, oh, you got to go to California. I said, why? You ever played on Bermuda grass greens? I said, no. He said, you have no chance down there in Florida. You should go where they have some bent grass greens. And so I went, I just turned my car around, went to California, and I've been out here for almost 36 years now. Now, is that sovereign? Well, I'm going to read you another little story of someone who used their power and their positions, and she believed with all of her heart in the sovereignty of a living God. Are you here for a purpose, either, either here this morning or watching or somewhere or somehow? That's the God we believe in, God that orchestrates things providentially. So that's your coffee shop, who you're meeting, your position, where you are in time and space, history, where, wherever. Uh, the position that you have, maybe held, maybe you're not Maybe you're not a CEO anymore. You're not a mom anymore. Well, you always be a mom, but not a mom with little kids. And you, Where are you? Where am I currently positioned? And then how does the Lord want me to manage my life? And why does he want me to do it? Now, here's the key. You ready? Because Jesus wants you to enter into the eternal, and to do so, he wants to invigorate and allow you to live a mystical and exciting journey following him. It's an invitation. It's a come with me invitation. What Jesus is doing is saying, we're interested in lost things. <clears throat> Don't be a younger or elder brother. Don't be in the pigsty. Don't be a lost coin or lost sheep. We're going to come after you with the guns blazing, that we're gonna, and we're going to seek and save the lost. And then when you come in, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come with me now, but there's going to be something that's going to hold you back. Your attachment to the, the way the world operates. And so I want you to give me your position, your position in life, the power that you have accrued in life, and I want you to give your money to me. Does that mean write a check to Church of the Red? No, of course not. I mean, I have a, we have savings accounts. We, we have to be smart. We have to provide for our families. 
Well, this is not what we're talking about. But in an ultimate sense, I'm just saying, okay, whatever I have is yours because I got to travel light. If I'm going to come with you, I need to be tra- in my mind. I need to be traveling light. I need to hold it pretty loosely. It's your stuff. You gave me the position. You gave me the finances. You gave me the the power, the whatever power that is in life. It's a barrier. It's a great barrier. You know what? Why is it that we love? We, we, it's a sacrificial life, but we're so drawn to it. And again, I know I talk about this all the time, but I, I think about it all the time. I think it's one of the great movies of all times, Forrest Gump. But why do we love him so much? And I know I mentioned this movie, but it, I just, it replays in my mind. It's such a beautiful parable for our time. Why do we love Forrest Gump so much? Because he, if you never thought of it in this term, he's after lost things. And he will not give up. Who's he after the most? Jenny. Jenny gave him every possible reason. Every reason. The dumper. He just wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. He was mistreated. See, what happens is Forrest Gump is in this parable, modern-day parable. That's Jesus. He know he, do you remember when she comes back, she knows she's sick, and then she goes back and she throws rocks at the house where she had had abuse when she was a child. Do you remember that scene? Very powerful. Hurt people usually are lost people. So if you go into these hurting places, in bitter places, what's going to happen? Probably they're going to throw some rocks at you. You got to get over it. Well, what if I lose my position or my power or my, or my position? See, are you following me? If Jesus is taking you, his desire is to take you in and to, for us as a community and individuals to be a community who seek lost things, not just stand for morality. Seeking lost things is our, is our heartbeat. It's a grace-filled, Jesus kind of a lifestyle. That's what Jesus is calling us into. And if you're holding on to these things, it'll be a barrier for you to do that. That's what Jesus is trying to say. I think that's why this comes on the immediate tale of lost things and the prodigal and, and don't be the elder brother too. What about Sergeant Dan? He treated Horace terribly. Look, Sergeant Dan blamed Forrest for saving him because he wanted to die. Now he's going to live without legs. Well, until he got his magic legs. Remember that? You know, he comes back. Well, Sergeant Dan, you got you some magic legs. Sergeant Dan. Who else, who else was in this? Bubba. I mean, you should go down the list. Why do we like this? Why do I? Why do we watch that? Or at least I do. I watch it over and over and over. And, and then I realize this is Jesus. He called Forrest to look for lost things. And we love it. If you love Forrest, may I tell you, and you may never have thought this before, and you may not even believe in God. Maybe you're watching. If you love Forrest Gump, what you're really loving is Jesus. That's the heartbeat of Jesus. Oscar Schindler, you know, where's my pen, you know? I could, with, with, with this pen, I could have saved two more. I could have. See, these are people that have somehow, Oscar Schindler, what, what happened in Schindler's list? He was basically dispossessing himself. He knew it. He knew the sacrifice that he was going to be making. He was dispossessing himself of his position. He was pretty cozy with the, you know, the Nazis there. And uh, his power and his money and all that. And then somehow, Jesus, not like the story we'll see in a little bit here, Esther, was calling him in for a salvation of Jewish people here. He had a plan. He was still working a plan out. But it cost him everything. And yet, we're still talking about him. How about all the people that didn't go down that road? Could have, you know, 
potentially laid their lives down to save another Jewish family or something from the Holocaust. What about that? We're just not talking about them. We're still talking about Schindler. Why do we love these movies? Because if you loved Oscar Schindler and the role that he played in his life, you love Jesus because he was after lost things. Protecting the unprotected. That's Jesus. You're in love with Jesus if you love these characters in our movies. How about George Bailey? You're going to see that movie every season, right? The Savings and Loan. He cared more about the people at great risk to personal reputation, the advancement, from, you know, financially and otherwise. Still think it's funny. $20,000 a year, I'm going to give you George Bailey. $20,000 a year, you know. And he laid it down, not knowing where, how it was all going to turn out. See, if you love George Bailey, you love Jesus. And you don't even know it. Make the connection. So what do we do here? Well, we're gonna, we looked at position now quickly. I want to go to Exodus chapter 15. What are we called to do? We're called to throw the tree of life, if you will, Jesus, into a very bitter, chaotic, fragmented, divisive world that we live in. It gets harder and harder to live in the world. It's just hard. It, I, it's so challenging. If you, especially if you have an elder brother mentality. If you're released by grace from your position, power, and possessions, the Lord is offering you a road to walk into a mystical journey with him that will reinvigorate life because you'll see life start to break out around you. If you're not seeing, if you're not part of a community that's seen people come to Jesus, be discipled, and be released into their identity in Christ, then you're not having fun yet. Now, if you're just retired and you're having fun, you'll have fun for a while, and then your knee will hurt, <clears throat> and your shoulder's going to hurt, and you're going to get COVID, and then your spouse is going to suffer, and then you, something's going to happen with your adult kids, and yada, 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 yada. This is fun, though. Following Jesus is fun. Following Jesus is thrilling. But I'll be honest with you, I'm still, I still struggle with it every day. I, I, I just struggle with this teaching every single day of my life. God wants mercy, not sacrifice. His words, not mine. Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. For those of you who know, we know that Israel's journey is our journey. You've heard me teach on this, preach on this. Here's another little picture. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. So when we're going to lost things, we're going to a place where there's no water because Jesus is the water of life. So if people don't have Jesus, they don't have water. And they're talking like this, and they're coughing and choking on the dirt. Literally the dirt. That's why Satan was going to crawl on his belly and eat the dirt, the dirt of the earth you'll eat all the rest of your life. It's the eating dirt on the ground is the opposite of drinking living water, okay? Let's just try to get the metaphor here. So this is a picture for us. This helps us understand. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, and therefore it was named Marah, which just means bitter. So the people grumbled at Moses. Remember, Moses was a type of Jesus, prefiguring of Jesus saying, what shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Are you involved in a community of any kind of niche, tribal little thing that is, is here on the earth, and you all have one desire, and that is to see bitter things become sweet again? If you're not, you want to. If you're not engaged in those kinds of activities, whatever your gifting is, whatever your calling, on an ongoing basis, then you want to be. Jesus is opening the door, but he's giving us, I believe, to the shrewd manager, he's saying, but if you can't get past this, you think you can serve both masters, but you can't. You're going to love one, and you're going to end up despising the other. And I meet him all the time. I tried that religion. 
Didn't work for me. I meet, meet these people. I said, well, tell me, what kind of thing did you buy into? I went to church, got involved in a Bible study group, and it was just all a bunch of, well, you might have been part of an elder brother church. You might have had a bad experience with somebody. There's a lot of weirdness out there under the context of the Christian kingdom. There's no question about that. But you, there was a barrier a lot of times. And you know, in deep in my intuitive sense, I'm like, they just still tried to serve their position, protect their position, their power, and their possessions. And Jesus was saying, come on, I'm, I'm, come with me. Just don't, you can't serve all that anymore. Come, come with me. Come follow me. Drop your nets, fishermen. Drop your golf clubs, golf pros. You know, drop your, you know, whatever. And, and just come. Let's, let's go. Come on, I'm going to take you on a journey that's going to give you abundant life. And we wonder why religion didn't work for me. There's a barrier there, and this is it. So he calls us in Luke 16, as we just saw, to abandon our temporal possessions. We've been talking about that. Why? We'll be shrewd like the manager was because, well, it's not that complicated. Uh, I'm going to give you an added incentive. The friends that you're going to make by using your money to make friends are you're going to have for all of eternity. We built a church. We got involved in this. We did, you know, we did Angel Tree. We, we took food to the poor. We served at Coachella Valley Rescue Mission. We went into our golf communities, our tennis communities, our pickleball communities, wherever, wherever people were gathered. We, we got socially embedded in them. You know, the Lord took us. He put seeds of wheat, which Jesus called in another parable. He says that's kind of like we are, and planted them among tares. And they were all growing up together. And some people couldn't see a huge difference. But eventually, we just started having this profound impact. And boy, every day we got up, we were thinking we are looking for lost things because Jesus is looking for lost things. And we're Jesus people. And it might cost us our position, might cost us some power, some social influence, and it might cost us a little bit of money, too. Along the way, there's no way to serve them both, so we're going for it. That's the heartbeat of the intention of Church at the Red Door. If you don't know that by now, then, you know, you probably already would have left. We don't, I just don't want to be a squanderer, do you? I just, if I just don't want that to be said. He squandered his possessions. He, his manager, he squandered his master's possessions. Squanders are some of the worst imposters. They're not joyful, and yet they feel obligated to participate in religious activity, but without the joy. They deny the power of the parable. They think somehow I can serve both. They deny the power of the parable Jesus just told. They're not thinking about their eternal friends. They're still trying to serve the vision that they've had their whole life so when I get here, I'll have this much money, and I'll be doing this, and I'll be doing, and this will be all great. And they just trying to serve them both, and it just, just never worked. And so what happens? They end up holding, as Paul told Timothy, holding to a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. You don't think people hold to a form of godliness but deny a power? You can feel it. You can taste it. You can sense it. You can sense authenticity. It's a death blow to your own walk. Our world sees people, well, they have a utilitarian view of humanity. That's how the world operates. Oh, networking. I'll go network, and I'll get in with that person, and then maybe they can give me this, and I'll provide this, and, I, and, and you can become an excellent at that, and you can get through the world that. And, the, and Jesus is saying, he's upending that whole thing. He doesn't see humanity and from the view of a utilitarian purposes, he came to save lost things. And they're all lost, and he came to save them at the sacrifice of his position. He was, the, he was part of the Godhead. His power, all power, authority, and dominion, and took the form of a bond slave, according to Philippians 2. And he was functionally penniless. And he changed the world. And now he's saying, let's go. Now, again, I'm not advocating, don't miss, I'm not advocating the sell, if the Lord tells you to sell everything and follow him and live in a tent or something, that's, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. I hope you, hope you understand that. We, we, we just, it's a shift in our thinking. It, it's, a, it's a new way, a new paradigm with which to view life. I'm a foot washer. 
I'm a Jesus person. I get down on my hands and knees. I'm all about lost things. And, and this is the great, exciting journey that I'm following with Jesus, and it looks different for all of us. But then when we get together as a community, with all the streams functioning properly, we'll change the valley. The atmosphere of this valley could change. You say, well, that's crazy. Ah, it's crazy talk. I know it's crazy. It is crazy talk. But it's Jesus talk. And they called him crazy. They scoffed at him when he started talking about these things. What does it mean to be a Christian? I do not have a utilitarian view of humanity. I have a view that people are hurt and helpless and they need a savior. And Jesus has said, come on, Jeff, with me. Or come on, Bob or Ted or Sue. Come with me and we'll go, we'll go hunting for lost things. Come on, church at the red door. Let's go hunting for lost things. <clears throat> Lastly, temporal power, position, possessions, power. And they're all temporal. Temporal position, temporal power, temporal possession. They're temporal. They, they have an end date. Your management will come to an end. Once you breathe your last, it's over. But it's not over yet. It's not over yet. What, are some, what, what does it mean by power? I, think it's, I, think, I, I don't think we have to think it has to be a king or something like that or a queen or president or some big CEO or something like that. It could be that, but it could just be a magnetic personality. You know, that's power. Are you using your magnetic personality in the capacity and the community to reach lost things? Could be your, just, you're an attractive person, beautiful person. Could be your education. It could be your power that you've, you know, through your wealth, you've done well in life. And now you just want to turn that over to the Lord and say, Lord, I, help me, help me follow you. And I want to be with you because you're looking for lost things. Might just be excellent people skills. Like you've honed people skills. It's just, just really good at that. The kingdom needs you. There's a lot of weirdness that goes on in the kingdom. People don't know how to communicate. They need good communicators. The kingdom needs that. A listening ear. Maybe you say, well, I don't really have an education and, you know, nobody's been asking me on the, to be on the cover of Vogue magazine or anything like that. But I sure do have a listening ear and I have a lot of compassion. And I know Jesus had compassion. And you're one of those people that maybe we get a call and say, I'm depressed. I need, and then, oh boy, but there's, there she is. She's, she's unbelievable. She's, her power is she just, she can listen. Most people can't listen very well. Just wisdom, experience, all these things are in the subset of who you are, that God has positioned you and given you a certain level of swag, if you will, in certain areas of your life, through your gifting, through your calling, through your identity in Christ, and now you say, okay, I give it all to you. I just sacrifice, I'm a living sacrifice. Lord, I, I give my life to you. I don't know how you want to use it, but I, I'm giving it to you. Please use it. Let's go look for lost things. And Jesus says, okay, I'm into that. Those are prayer. Now you're praying. Now you're praying. So uh, it's always an invitation. I'm going to close it with a story that, that, that you know well. But there's always an invitation that the Lord is giving us to manage his things well. And that's what he's doing in this parable. Don't try to serve all. You can't serve all that. You're just going to have to kind of just kind of give that to me. And I'll take care of it for you. Don't worry about that. But you're going to have to come. And it's going to look like it's going to be, it's, well, it is going to be risky. The invitation to follow Jesus, if somehow you have constructed or heard a message that the invitation to follow Jesus is not risky, then you haven't heard the gospel. You certainly hadn't worked through the parables of Jesus, because every time I look at it, I go, that's risky. Whew, that's risky. But the more you understand the gospel, the more you understand the gospel is an invitation to risk everything for lost things, because that's what God, through Jesus, did for you. Now he's saying, let's go. You ready? Come with me, parable. Oh, yeah, don't worry about all this stuff. No, don't worry. Give that to me. Trust me. So we all know the story, or most of you will probably know the story of Esther. And this is a very strange, this is a beautiful story, but it's the only book in all the Bible. God's not mentioned one time in the book of Esther. Not one time is God mentioned. It doesn't feel like a morality tale because she's marrying a non-Jew I mean, that's verboten, right? That's verboten. No, you can't do that. 
And there's drinking parties and all kinds of and, and intrigue and reversals and all this kind of crazy stuff. And yet, this is exactly a picture for us to become in the spirit of Esther. And I cannot tell you how many times I've both adopted this language for my own life and encouraged people with this. And many of you know it, and we'll read it in a second. For such a time as this. You've been raised up for such a time as this. So what the general story is, this is so weird. There was, a, now this is about 100 years after the Babylonian captivity. This was the Persian Empire, okay? So you've got Assyrians, and they were kind of wiped out by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians, and that's, a, a lot of the Bible is written about the Babylonian captivity, and that's where we get Jeremiah prophesying, Isaiah warning them, Jeremiah, Ezekiel in, in captivity, Zechariah, Haggai rebuilding after the Babylonian captivity. This is about 100 years later under the Persian rule. And there was a king, Xerxes or Ahasuerus, whichever, all the names are the same. It was a Persian king. And are you ready for this? Talk about a mind bender. He had over almost a half a year drinking party. That's true. Over 180 days. Party. We are going to party because we're, we're, the, we're the world masters now. They were partying for over 180 straight days. In my worst pigsty moments, I never did that. 180 days. And then drunk off of a, as you can imagine, after this mind-bending experience, and it's a whole kingdom. They were all his, his court and everything. And he has this phenomenal idea. I think I'll have a little beauty contest. But only after Vashti, his queen, he says, I want to parade Vashti out in front as a drunk. Now think about this. A drunk, nasty, 180-day party plus, and all of his other drunk cronies, and she, the queen, is going to come out, and he's going to parade her beauty. She was a beautiful woman, evidently. Parade her beauty for all to see. And she's like, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, excellent, Vashti, that's good. The problem is she sacrificed everything to do that. And he says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a little... I'm going to have a little beauty contest now. This will be fun now that we're all drunk. And so they started looking for people and young women, virgins all over the empire. And eventually in comes Esther, and she finds favor with him. She's beautiful. They don't know she's Jewish. But she moves into the court, and they begin the process and the beautification process and all this. Now, commensurate to that, she has a relative named Mordecai, and Mordecai overhears just providentially, just by chance that there's a little conspiracy against the king, and he overhears it among some of the officials, and he goes and tells the king, and the king you know, promotes him a little bit and commends him and everything, saved his life. But that's just kind of in the background. Eventually, and I'm going to shorten this a little bit, Haman, the southern nefarious character, he starts to rise up in the kingdom, and, and uh, he goes out, and Mordecai won't bow to him when he walks by, and he hates it. And so he starts to hate. He wants the honor, the position, the prestige. Haman wants it all. Haman is a picture of what the world wants, right? I want, I, want to be, I want everybody to bow to me. I want power, money, and position. I want all three of them, and I'm going to cling to them, and I'm going to manipulate however I can. And he gets so ticked off at Mordecai that he ends up deciding, knowing that Mordecai's Jewish as well, decides he's going to eradicate all the Jews off the planet. He's going to take them all down. So he goes in, he gets cozy with the king, you know, drunken king and all that. And uh, they, they come up with this plan that on the 13th of Adar, which is just on a calendar date, they're going to go and they're just going to tell everybody in the kingdom, just, just wipe out, kill, man, woman, and child, all the Jews. Mordecai hears about this. Well, it becomes obvious. So the king, you know, what a king, great king. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. Not knowing that his own queen is Jewish. Not realizing that even Mordecai is Jewish. Anyway, as the story goes, Mordecai goes to Esther. And now it's, it's relevant to us this morning. What he's really doing is he's saying, are you, we'll, we'll add, we'll make this a little synchronism here. Well, we'll add Jesus' teaching. Would you be willing to give up your power, your position, and all your worldly goods to save the Jewish people? Now, she has it good. Have you ever heard anybody having it good? She has it good. Well, if you don't mind being married to a drunken king. 
Esther chapter 4, verse 11. Here's the little dialogue. Now catch this. Now, some of you will know it, but let's put it in context. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king in the inner court who is not summoned. Now, she had to be summoned back then. And if you showed up in front of the king and you hadn't been summoned, it was the death sentence. So she's, she's going to have to give up her life, potentially, if she does this. He has but one law, that he be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter, that he may live. So now if the king is either, she's going to approach the king without being summoned, even though she's the queen, and uh, he's either going to say, or he's going to take his golden scepter, he's going to do that and says, speak. She doesn't know what the outcome's going to be. It's the same with you. Jesus says, follow me. And give me kind of, just trust me with everything that you have, your position, your power, and your possessions. Just come on. Let's go. You're like, oh, wait a minute. What if? Anybody ever play the what if game? What if I did that? What if I did that? And if I, have, if I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days, and they related Esther's words to Mordecai, and then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Okay, here's what I want you to tell Esther. Now, like, easy for you to say, Mordecai. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the other Jews. But if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. So God's providential. Now, he's put you in this position, giving you this power and giving you this kind of authority. All this right now. Right now, I know he's put you there, but if you remain silent, Esther, he'll still find another resource. He'll still find someone that cares. Now, for them, you say, well, it's just about the Jews. No, it's not just about the Jews. Why was God so concerned about the Jews? Because he was concerned about you. He's concerned about lost things, and if the Jews are eradicated, guess what? We get no Savior who would be born to come and seek and save lost things. This is all God's providence behind, behind it. Uh, like a roll of the dice, Purim. That's where, it, where we get Purim, right? This is a roll of the dice. Now, from outside looking in, isn't it lucky? Isn't it lucky Esther just happened to rise up to that power position and have all that stuff? No. Listen to what he says. He says, and you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. I'll use my own experience. How do you know that you failed golf pro, you messed up person, you lost pigsty, Jeff, lost coin down in the dirt, lost sheep, couldn't get... How do you know that God hadn't providentially given you an invitation and positioned you in a place called the Coachella Valley that hasn't positioned you for such a time as this? Or... Hey, by the way, Jeff, if you remain silent, he'll find something else because he still cares about lost things in the Coachella Valley. But he's offering me an invitation. He's offering you an invitation. He's offering us, Church at the Red Door, a collective invitation to not remain silent. Not standing up for morality. No, going after lost things in grace and compassion and concern people that you think are your enemies now. And what's her response? Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. And, and I and my maidens will fast in the same way, and thus I will go to the king. I choose not to remain silent. And one of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible, listen, which is not according to the law, I know. And if I perish, I perish. See, Jesus is offering you a risky invitation to follow him and not serve two masters. <clears throat> it's terrifying. But we have to get to a place. Well, what if I lose my job doing this? Well, if I perish, I perish. Well, what if I, you know... <laughs> quit this and go down this road and start trying to serve over here and, and I don't make money and this and that and markets down and everything. Ah, if I perish, I perish. Well, what about, you know, my social status and my friends? 
If I perish, I perish. What Jesus is offering is saying, you want freedom? Get to where Esther was. If I perish, I perish. Because I'm not thinking about this life. I'm thinking about when I breathe my last. I want to go down with eternal friends. I want to go down having expended all, everything, as a living sacrifice to serve the one who did the exact same thing for me and is now offering for me to take the same mystical journey that he took, one led by the Spirit and providentially assigned by the creator of the universe. That, for me, is the shrewd manager. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I am stripped bare when I read your parables. For some reason, I still, I still know I cling to things, visions that I had and ways that I wanted things to be. I, I sometimes I just I feel angry. I feel like, you know, Lord, I thought I was going to be this way, and it's not. Lord, forgive me. Would you just tell the Lord that? Just, I mean, this is prayer. Just have a conversation with Jesus. Jesus, would you forgive me to, for trying to cling to two different masters at the same time? Lord, forgive me. I, I give up my vision for my life that I had. I give up my, what I perceive as my power in the world, what I perceive as my possessions and my... Lord, I just give it all to you, trusting that you will provide and that you're going to give me the most thrilling, exciting life that will pay such eternal rewards. Lord, I want to take people with me. I'm going to be a part of a community that takes people with me. I want to have so many invitations in the eternal realm for people saying, you know, she, she laid down her life for me and she never even knew it. She gave some money or she taught a Bible study or she came over to my house or she prayed for a friend of mine. She never even really knew who I was, but she had a profound impact on my life. I'm going to see if she might want to come over for dinner in this new eternal state. Don't scoff at it, folks. Do not scoff. Lord Jesus, help the scoffing in us. These reflect perfect truth. We trust Jesus that this is true and that we're not spending our life for nothing, but we're spending it for something that we can never keep anyway. Precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, in the end, we need to hear Jesus speak. And I, I know we play this periodically. And I, this is my favorite song to end on, honestly. And I know you love it. Just speak. Lord, we, we, we need, have to be a people that hear your voice. So let's worship to this last song. Thank you, Lord. I didn't cough, I don't think. 